Welcome to the Take Good Care podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bradshaw. No one wants to become highly skilled at navigating a medical crisis by actually navigating their own medical crises. But I'm here for it. I'm here to help you avoid the learn-as-you-go education in healthcare that I've experienced throughout my own healthcare journey. And I'm also here to facilitate inspiration with guests who get you. We get you. And we're here to build community. So let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me for episode seven of the Take Good Care podcast. Today, I'm talking with Brooke Taylor. She has been a physician assistant in an emergency room setting for the bulk of her career. And the message we're trying to convey in this conversation is making sure that you are aware of the opportunities you have to utilize your specialty care providers and even your primary care provider in a hospital setting, meaning know where these physicians have privileges and try your best to be seen and treated at these facilities. That said, and we say it throughout our conversation, if you are in an emergent situation, all that matters is that you call 911 and you get the help you need immediately. We break down very specific scenarios that we've experienced firsthand, either myself as a patient or caregiver and Brooke as a physician assistant in emergency room setting that would have allowed for the patient to seek help from a hospital where their specialist has privileges. This will all make sense as we begin to talk about it. I just want to make absolute certain that you understand we are not <laughs> encouraging you to buck the system and drive yourself 30 minutes away from the closest hospital or not calling an ambulance just because they'd be taking you to a hospital that isn't your first choice. First and foremost, stay safe. If you have an emergency situation, call for emergency providers and get the care you need, get stabilized, and then perhaps under normal protocols, you can get transferred to the hospital where your specialist or your primary care provider has privileges. Just want to make that super duper clear. Brooke is a wealth of knowledge. She participates in module five of the Empathetic Healthcare Practices course, where we talk in detail about emergency care services, what's the difference between emergent care and urgent care, how to best utilize your primary and specialty care providers to avoid an ER visit, meaning staying on top of your healthcare, going to see your specialist or your primary care provider as soon as you see a problem and not letting it escalate to an emergent situation if it can be avoided. And for the purposes of our discussion now, we are talking about a matter of receiving the best possible care and also gaining access to that care. What treatment did you receive? Making sure you can get your labs, get your medical records and all those sorts of things. So there's a lot to learn from this episode, but I'm just making sure that we preface our conversation with saying, Always make sure you get the best care as quickly as possible based on your situation. So here we go. So continuity of care, first of all, is, I believe, starts with primary care. Absolutely starts with primary care. But to me, it means sticking with that same doctor 
if, if we're talking about primary care and then also sticking with those same specialists and continuing your care through them um, without what we call doctor hopping, you know, going to multiple sources, multiple doctors, not saying that that's a bad thing. Second opinions, I would 100 um, percent always encourage that. But um, if you have chronic conditions that are being managed, the smartest, most efficient thing for somebody to do is stick Find your your doctor that you you know come up with a good treatment plan with, and you can communicate with. Stick with them. Stick with those specialists. Make sure those specialists communicate. That's continuity of care for me. Yeah, and one of the things too, Tracy Carter and I talked about in the very first module of the course is talking about how sometimes the best thing you can hear from a primary care provider is, "I don't have that answer." Absolutely. But I will go find that answer, and I will find someone who can treat you with whatever might be over that person's right. head or not in their realm of specialty. The important part of building a relationship with primary care first is sometimes, and I've experienced this firsthand, that primary care provider will refer you to someone based on maybe your personality, based on maybe some trauma you've experienced in terms of your care or what you've been through in your life in a, in a medical sense. Or maybe it's based on you don't care about a bedside manner. You just want to get to the answers and do whatever, you know, treatment plan is going to be most effective for you. So if your primary care provider knows you well, and there are options in terms of which specialty care provider that person refers you to, they need to know your personality. They need to know your history and they need to care about it. So right. it all starts with primary care there. So then you go on to specialty care and in the specialty care, it can get pretty confusing What's the best advice you give for someone who's feeling overwhelmed and not understanding even what's happening or what specialty care is? So, I mean, obviously it's situation dependent, but starting with primary care, find out, okay, say I have uh, chest pain. Obviously you can take your recommendations from the ER providers. If you go to an ER, you get checked out for chest pain, everything checks out fine. In an emergency situation, they say follow up with cardiology. They're going to make their recommendations. But if you have a primary care provider, your best option is to go to that primary care or just call them and say, hey, I was given, I had chest pain. I went to the emergency room. They want me to follow up with a cardiologist. Who do you, who do you recommend? Who do you communicate well with? That's the best situation because that communication is key. Um, and that communication, unfortunately, is lost whenever there isn't that continuity of care. So. So, so that would be a situation where you you go to the ER for the chest pain. You're not admitted to the hospital. Correct. Everything checks out yeah. okay. And so okay, let's talk about the admitted being admitted to a hospital. Okay, so you live in a rural area, perhaps, or you live even in a suburb of a city that has a pretty good hospital there, but they don't have a number of specialists who would be rounding. And we talk about rounds in the course. Rounding is when a group of doctors or providers all come in at the same time and kind of assess the patient. What's the plan for the day? How did yesterday go? What do those labs look like? What tests are we running? And then go on to the next patient. So rounds are really important. And that's not what we're here to discuss today. But understanding that you might be in a hospital setting where rounds looks like just one hospitalist coming and not necessarily a team of specialists. So let's look at that. Um, if you are someone who's dealing with a chronic issue, and I have a good example of what I'll share, what I mean by what, what is a good example to what we're talking about? But if you're someone who has a chronic issue and you know what that issue is and you're working that out with your primary care provider and maybe your specialty provider, 
we talked about in the module that you and I shared in module five about utilizing your primary and specialty care to avoid an ER. Again, go if you need to. But an extra layer of that is utilize your primary and specialty care and then utilize the specialists that are a hospital that you may have visited before that has a specialty care team. If you have a chronic condition and you see specialists, it is so important to find out where they have privileges. That is- Which hospital? Which hospital do they have privileges at? Because if at all possible, again, go to an emergency room if you feel like you're having a medical emergency. However, if you know I'm having complications from from this chronic condition and I know I have some time, it's more beneficial to the patient and it's less frustrating to providers to go to that facility that that specialist has privileges. One of the examples I'll use is directly related to this type of decision-making. And I will give you the shortest version that I have. So feel free to interject at any time. I just think it's worth providing the details of the story as they apply to the topic that we're discussing. My late husband, Wesley, was about eight or nine months into his year-long illness before receiving his double lung transplant. And one particular day, Wesley woke up feeling worse than usual, which would have been pretty bad. And he called me into our bedroom and he said, I need you to stay calm. You need to call someone to come pick up Hunter, call one of your friends, and then we need to call an ambulance. Our son was just four years old. We didn't want him to experience the trauma of seeing his dad wheeled off in an ambulance. However, that being said, if Wesley were in a situation where he was experiencing chest pain or had a complete inability to breathe, then we would have had to expose Hunter to that trauma. We wouldn't have risked Wesley's life to avoid Hunter seeing the ambulance. Uh, we'd start out with a hospital near our home in the suburbs, and then we sought out a second opinion at the UT Medical System in downtown Houston. We had an established relationship with this pulmonologist. In fact, I had her cell phone number, so she knew what was happening. I did as he asked, and then by the time my friend arrived to pick up our son, Wesley had started to feel a bit better. Still felt like he needed to go to the hospital, but maybe it wasn't quite as emergent as he felt when he first woke up. We called the ambulance anyway, and when they arrived, there were two gentlemen, two medics, and we told them we wanted them to take us to the hospital in downtown Houston. And they said they weren't allowed. They'd have to take us to the closest hospital, which was the hospital where we started out almost a year ago. So they said, are you refusing our help? And I said, do I need to refuse your help for you to tell me what to do? And they said, yes. And that's a slippery slope, right? Liability. Liability all the way. Yeah. That's their liabilities. What is considered an emergency situation, there are times where um, EMS will say, okay, what facility do you want to go to? But if there is any hint of an un unstable patient, they're going to take you to the nearest facility mm -hmm. and they're not going to negotiate, negotiate that. that. And if you don't want to do that that's where that you know you have you have that right to refuse mm -hmm. um but they need to hear that and they need to have some signatures well and that's <laughs> that's exactly what happened and so what we what we said is look we we know where we need to go mm -hmm. and they knew within two minutes of talking with us that we were on top of his care we were you know we were compliant we were doing all the things but we needed to get to his doctor in houston mm -hmm. And so they said, okay, if you're refusing care, we're going to load you up in the car 
with lots of oxygen. You obviously, we, we used to take four, four big, huge containers with us every single time, cylinders, every time we left the house, just in case. And they told us, they gave us very specific instructions. They said, if he gets into trouble on your way to the hospital, do not try to get downtown. Do not try to find the nearest hospital on your own. Pull over on the side of the freeway, call 911, and you'll have help within moments. And that's what we did. And he made it safely to the hospital. His doctor and I had been in communication, as I said. She knew that he was coming. I thought when we were talking about that, that that was a good example because for one, it required us really knowing what Wesley needed mm-hmm. and trying really hard not to be wrong about it. And things changed, just mm-hmm. like his, um, he felt like he needed the ambulance at that time and then stabilized. Things changed in the meantime. So that's... Yeah. Let's talk about some of the reasons that if you have a chronic condition, why you go to the ER. So I had a patient um, that had some significant endocrine issues um, and Endocrine, meaning the hormonal system. Mm -hmm. So those diabetes, for example, um, Cushing's disease, Addison's disease, those sort of things, those can be complicated to manage. Obviously, diabetes is very common, can be treated by your primary care provider. However, when you have multiple endocrine disorders, it, it can get complicated. And typically, those patients require endocrinology to manage those problems. This certain patient had an established endocrinologist, came to our hospital for having certain symptoms that she was concerned that she was in an Addisonian crisis. Uh, turns out it, that was the case. She, and she needed a, she needed admission for multiple reasons, including that disorder. But we could not get her transferred. Unfortunately, um, what we're experiencing right now with nursing shortage and, and whatnot, staffing is an issue. So this patient needed to go to another facility. Could we have treated her at our facility? Absolutely, 100%. Would it have benefited her in the long run? No, because we don't know her. Mm-hmm. Her endocrinologist knows her. Her endocrinologist has privileges at, at another hospital. The We could have absolutely stabilized, which we did. But upon discharge, the treatment plan of what we could have provided versus what her endocrinologist could have provided at the other facility would have been drastically different. And I think ultimately it would have been a better situation for her. Mm-hmm. So ultimately I think she, you know, she should have gone to the other facility. It's a hard thing to say, right? It's a hard thing to say because, because you don't want to, I don't want anyone listening no. to this to think, oh, well, you know, Lisa and Brooke said you don't even need to go to the ER local, mm-hmm. just drive 30, 50 minutes, whatever to your, specialty hospital. That's not what we're saying at all. What we're really saying is that when you are in an ongoing chronic situation, you see things escalating, you feel things escalating. Ideally, you're utilizing your primary and specialty care to keep those escalations happening from happening. Mm -hmm. Another example, this person was originally seen at a majorly reputable hospital, Miss Stanford, and received top-notch care and was told because she lived further away from, you know, literally a couple of hours from the hospital that she would need to follow up and get specialty care. And and when that didn't happen and things were getting progressively worse over a couple of years, I had suggested go back to Stanford. You see these things escalating, go to Stanford, go to the ER, tell them the complications, they'll admit her and just let them kind of reassess what, what next steps were, kind of re- rewind 
and get the care from that specialty hospital that you saw in the first place because she was seen being seen in these little hospitals around wherever she was traveling. Mm-hmm. And when you're traveling and you don't live in one place and it's really difficult, that's how she ended up at Stanford because that's where she was traveling nearby. So after about two years of this, they went back to Stanford and she was in such really critical shape that they kept her almost three weeks just trying to get things leveled out and some numbers back to normal. And again, what did they say? Follow up with specialty care and primary care. And when you haven't seen a specialist with a chronic issue over a three-year period of time, the prognosis isn't going to be great. You don't have a specialty provider. You don't have a primary care provider. Maybe you have a primary care provider, but if you don't have a specialty provider when you're in an end-stage serious chronic or critical illness, then it's going to change the outcome. Right. Right. It's going to change the outcome. One of the things, too, that I think that people get overwhelmed by when they are navigating their own care is understanding the roles of each of these providers. And I and I think that there sometimes are egos involved with these providers, like they want to be in charge of this part of care and they don't want any the other doctor overstepping what their field of specialty is. And sometimes it's the attitude and ego. And I've seen that. And sometimes it's just hey, let's be real precise about what our plan is so that we're not, we don't have too many people in charge without kind of one person overseeing it. And is that one person overseeing it, is it primary care? Or which specialist is it? Does it depend on how many specialists you're seeing and what you're dealing with? What's the most forefront issue that you're dealing with? And that's, yeah, that's a difficult question. Um, I think it, it's the most forefront issue is who it who it lands on. Um, you know, if you have a disease process like cancer. I mean, you yes, you have this um, established primary care. Uh, it, it, let me say, it may change. So you go to primary care, you have hypertension, you have, um, you know, maybe some hypothyroid issues. Your primary care was, is going to feel comfortable managing that. But along the way, you develop cancer. Your, your oncologist then becomes number one. Mm-hmm. But you, in hopes go to somebody that communicates well with your primary because all those other conditions still matter too. Mm-hmm. And you want that, you want that line open. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's, um. so that's maybe a difficult question to answer because it depends on the situation and the chronic illness being dealt with. Well, and if you were to need, say, surgery and you have a cardiac issue, um, underlying cardiac issue, and you need surgery, that's an oncology issue, then they're going to have to communicate because mm-hmm. you got to decide what can you even have the surgery and and do you have to have something some kind of procedure done to to make sure your heart will be okay through these surgeries that are an oncology issue mm-hmm. it is very complicated and i think that the most important thing is to communicate find that primary care provider who will communicate with you a specialty care provider who will communicate with you and and also one of the things when you were talking about doctor hopping right how important it is to just build that relationship we talk about it throughout this course building a team of trust having a voice in your decision-making. You're more likely to comply with decisions that you help make. One of the things that happens sometimes when I hear from someone, by the time I hear from someone, they're diagnosed with something or they're going through something really hard. Usually it's not in a preventative approach at all or a proactive approach. It's a reactive approach, which is human nature. It's just how we are. Sometimes we don't think about these things until we have to. The example that I gave you last night, we have our hospital, it's a rural hospital, great hospital. We still have, for a rural hospital, we have quite a few specialties, but we also have a freestanding emergency room right across the street. 
the street. What is that? What so is a freestanding emergency room is a, it's it's a functioning emergency room. It's a full fledged ER, but it is that alone. You do not have you're not it's not attached to the hospital, and so they're great for for a lot of different reasons. Um, if you feel like you're having a medical emergency, they can do all the things that an emergency. So then, do. Is, if you were a patient that needed to be admitted, then they're going to admit you somewhere else. Depending, there are some that that can admit for observation. If you have a condition that they're worried about that could potentially escalate or they can treat and maybe not and in a, a typical emergency room amount of time you know let's say 12 to 24 hours kind of thing or 23 hours i think is technically your ob situation but they are not attached to a hospital so if you have something that needs to be if you have a condition a problem that you need to be admitted for for a longer term than just 23 hours you would need to be transferred so in my situation this emergency room across the street well, say we have a patient that goes there, they're having abdominal pain. And they go there, they have the labs, they have their pain is treated, they have a CT scan, they have all of that done. All of that at the time is normal, right? Situations can change. And, you know, a day, a week, say this patient pain increased. So at this point, they decide to go to RER, which is great. However, the problem with that is that, say, this is, a, this is a Saturday that this pain increased, or just a weekend in general. And not that that necessarily should matter, but sometimes it does, unfortunately. And they come to our ER, their pain's increased, we do labs, we, we're trying to fi find out what has all been done. Say this patient doesn't really know, they think maybe they did an x-ray, maybe they did a CT, big deal, radiation. We really don't want to rescan somebody in that amount of time if if we can avoid it, right? So we're having to figure out what was done, get the labs, get the records. That delays care. Let's say this patient now has appendicitis. We're on a timeline here. Mm -hmm. This patient could rupture. Their appendix could rupture. It's a very different situation. So it just, that's, that's another example of continuity of care. If you went to that facility, your pain's worsening. Probably the best situation, unless you had a terrible experience there or didn't trust the providers or, or whatever the case may be, sometimes it is better to say, okay, I'm going to go back to this facility because I'm having this certain issue. This certain issue I've already been seen for is worsening. They have my records. Okay. So now we're not even talking about a distance issue, which is good because we don't want anyone to spend We're talking about a far. local situation yeah. where I've now gone to two different facilities for the same issue. Right across the street. From right across the street from each other. So you're saying stick to the first one if you can. If you can. And because now we're not talking about like time, right? You're not talking about go to that facility that's 30 minutes further when you're in horrible pain. Right. We're saying if you, they're right across the street right from each other. Yeah. Go to the same one. Yep. Or if you don't want to go to the same one, get your records. Go get your records. Yeah. Well, that, get those as you that go. That is right? so helpful. And you Do can you get those as you leave. So that's, you don't get your chart, obviously, you know, as you leave. That's something you have to request from medical records. But you can request your lab work, your 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 imaging that you've had done, those, those results. You can request that. Yeah. Whether they give it to you or not, I, that's, again, tricky. I give it to my patients. Maybe that's not something I should do, but I always print out labs. I print out imaging for that situation. If that patient... When they're when you discharge them. When I did they ask them. for it. That's something I do. Mm -hmm. Now we have access to my chart or whatever the portal is. Mm -hmm. But if that provider group isn't part of that 
um, system, then you're not going to have that information in your chart. Exactly. And that's why you should, it, it should become a habit if you go somewhere and you have labs done in an emergency room situation, because that's what I know. Request those, keep them in a folder, keep them with your discharge stuff, and bring that to your primary, bring that to your specialist. That way things aren't repeated and the the whole picture comes together mm -hmm. very well for the provider that you're seeing at that time. Who doesn't treat all and, the time. And stay, stay humble, I guess, is maybe the word, whenever you get different answers. Again, this is a practice. Mm -hmm. We're practicing medicine, mm -hmm. regardless of the protocols. Um, so you go to your primary care, you ask them a certain question, you get this certain answer, you go to your oncologist who, you know, deals with this day in day out you get another answer use your judgment and um figure out what helps figure out what helps you mm -hmm. you know so as an overview then we're talking about you can get your records from whatever hospital or emergent care urgent care facility you're in it may not give you everything right, not your whole chart, but you're saying you can at least ask labs, for labs yes. and images. Okay, so you have that with you just in case they're not part of your medical group. And if if for any reason you have a hard time getting them, you can request them later for medical records. Absolutely. It's always your right to get your to get your medical information. Figure out where your specialty providers are and get yourself as close to those as you can and doing it safely. Correct. Or at least make sure if you have to cease, uh, go to an emergent uh, care situation closer to you, closest to you, that you have some of those records, you have that information with you, you have your least list list of prescriptions, list of labs, list of whatever you can have with you in a folder that you take for those kinds of situations. Absolutely. Better for your provider and ultimately better for your care. So, Well, I appreciate this conversation. Did we miss anything? I think we missed a lot. We're going to have to do this again. Well, this again. There's, <laughs> there's so many things to discuss, especially from, from an emergency situation and or emergency room standpoint. Um, so many things that can be discussed. So I would love to do this again. Well, we're here doing it from your house. Last time when we did it through the course, we were doing it from far away. But I happened to be in Texas and I happened to be here at your house. And we were talking last night and I said we should do a podcast episode so we're sitting in your beautiful home overlooking your lovely lake and um, I think this is the way to do it I enjoyed it let's do it again for sure take good care <laughs>